When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show where for 100 episodes, we have been all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week for over two years, my co-host and I have been giving our favorite tips, sharing our best stories, and confiding our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. Well, Awesomes, it is a big, big day for us, and we are celebrating the 100th episode of Sorta Awesome. There has been some excitement and anticipation building for this episode, and many of you have guessed correctly that I've gathered all of my co-hosts today, and we are bringing you a group show to celebrate the big one zero zero. So hi, friends. I'm so glad you're here today. Hello. <laughs> well, you can imagine that this is a pretty memorable moment for me and for all of us. And we were so inspired by that idea of memorable moments that we decided to do a whole episode about that very thing. So we've gathered up some of our favorite memorable moments, not from sort of awesome, but from our own lives. Stories we've never told on the podcast before, but moments we will never forget. And we're going to get to all of that in just a few minutes. But first... We're going to bring you a double dose of Awesome of the Week. Instead of two awesome suggestions this week, you're going to get four. So buckle up for that. And Kelly, why don't you kick us off with your Awesome of the Week? Okay. Well, you know, Awesome, is we are here on the very edge of my favorite season. So my Awesome of the Week is something that we all could use to make summer the best it can be, right? Swimsuits. Yes. This is what I'm talking about, okay? That's what I'm bringing for my awesome. So if you are young in life and, you know, can still rock a string bikini, then, you know, rock on with your bad self. This is not for you. (laughs) You can go get your string bikini anywhere. They're adorable. I see them everywhere. This is for the woman who might be chasing kids in a swimsuit, who might be paddle boarding, who might be out on a beach somewhere being more active, wants more coverage for whatever reason. And I will tell you this. I'm in my 40s, and I have been shopping for swimsuits for a number of years now because we have a pool, and I also live in Minnesota where there are lakes, and it's just like it's a water culture in the summer. You are always – I am usually in a swimsuit at least once a day um, in the summer. So these are my three things that I need for adult swimsuits to be able to be active with my kids. I need it to be two pieces, okay? okay. No one has time for a one-piece. I need to be Why a suit. What do you mean? I, I only have time for a one piece. Okay, well, we'll talk about you later, Laura. 
don't you mean like going to the bathroom? It's like easier. Yeah, the, right. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that's okay. <laughs> when I'm in a suit for like six confused. or eight hours, I don't have time to be like undressing my entire self in a bathroom okay. like next to a lake somewhere. I need it to okay. be two pieces, okay? okay? I, I was confused about why we didn't have time for one okay. piece, but I, I totally get it. Okay. Just to okay. clarify, I have all the time in the world for a one piece. Okay. <laughs> that's because you're more glamorous than I am, Laura Tremaine. Um, I need two pieces. I need a suit that can work with my body type. So I want to have choices and I need it to look cute. I don't want to look like a dowdy person sitting next to the pool. So I want it to look cute on me, something that I feel both comfortable and confident and maybe a little sexy in. Okay. So I'm going to give you two places to shop. I have bought swimsuits recently at both of these stores. One is Athleta and the other is Title IX. Um, both have stores that you can go to in select cities. They're mostly an online re- retailer, um, but they have all those things in spades because they have tons of swimsuits. They have all different styles. And this is probably my favorite thing that has changed in the last you know five-ish years of swimsuit buying is that if you want full coverage on the bottom, you could go for board shorts. If you want something even long, if you want shorts, if you want a skirt, You can choose what you want on the bottom, depending on how you feel about that part of your body. And then on the top, you could choose a bikini top. You could choose something that's more full coverage bikini top. You could choose two straps. You could choose a halter top. You can really mix and match, you know, a ruched side to make you feel comfortable. And I love that. In fact, I have often with both stores bought multiple pieces of the same suit, you know, so they have really, really cute styles and colors, everything from, you know, just black and white, something that's a little bit more modern looking to just really um, fun, beachy sort of colors. So one thing I will say is that neither Athleta nor Title IX are very cheap swimsuits. And I mean that in every way, okay? They are not inexpensive. You will usually pay between $60 to $80 for one piece of their swimsuit. So if you're going to buy two or more, you know, that's what you're going to have to look at. But here's the thing. As someone who is in the water a lot, especially in pool water a lot in the summer, and is chasing kids and wants to feel comfortable, I have decided that it is worth it to invest that money into a swimsuit that makes me feel good, that makes me look good, makes me feel like I can walk around the pool and not be tugging and pulling everything, you know? So it is worth it. I do think that I used to be a person who wanted to just try to really find the cheapest swimsuit that I could because, you know, what if I didn't like it? But that paid off, right? I often didn't like it. The suit didn't last very long. The chlorine ate through it. And what I found with both the Athleta and the Title IX suits is that they last longer. So they are worth it. They are my awesome of the week, really my awesome of the summer, because having a swimsuit that you feel good in is worth it. I can totally see how that would be a perfect fit for you and your very active summers, Kelly. So I love that. Laura, how about you? My awesome of the week is the sixth and final season of Girls on HBO. Oh, wow. Yeah, this will be good. Girls is one of the only shows, truly, in the last 10 years, probably since I've been married, that I've watched from episode one and in real time. So I've kept up with it the whole time. (laughs) Uh, The show Girls, for those who don't know, it's about four girlfriends living in New York City, just post-college. It's kind of been compared to Sex and the City, but it's really much grittier, much harder themes, not so glamorous. It's always been a controversial show, not just because of its content, but because 
Lena Dunham, who's the creator, director, and star, she is somewhat alienating for people, um, <laughs> to put it yeah, mildly. That's a good way say it, yeah. <laughs> with her politics, her humor, her memoir that came out a few years ago. And also, she's very naked on almost every episode. So, a lot of people. So much naked. So much naked. Um, which, on a side note, I think is really good because she has a very normal woman's body and has has spoken out a lot about that. But anyway, she's, she is a very alienating person and a lot of people do not like the show girls, but back to season six, which why it's my awesome of the week. (laughs) I loved this show for the first couple of seasons, like season one, season two, season three of girls was really good. I thought it was a scarily accurate portrayal of like a very particular post-college move to the big city, try to make it as an artist experience. Um, And and not a lot of people thought that. A lot of people didn't relate to this really particular experience. But because of my life path, I really related to a lot of what was going on in those early seasons. But then for a few seasons, girls went off the rails. (laughs) Oh, okay. I hated every character. Every character made bad choices and became very selfish. And some of the plot lines were very wonky. Like, I, I almost gave up on it just because just got so abhorrent. But then this last season, season six, is has been really beautiful. Um, and it, it goes back. The writing, I think, is way stronger than it was. It goes back to sort of the earlier seasons. And now that you can look at the show as a whole, like you can look at all six seasons as this one big particular piece of art, it makes so much sense of where these characters were in the beginning of their, like, they're, like, immediately post-college, so they're, like, 23 years old in the early seasons, and where they are, like, as they near 30, and they're they're not all friends anymore. Their life paths have taken a whole different way, and it's just, it's just been amazing. Like, I'm glad I didn't give up on it, um, because I think you can now see the bigger picture, whether this was intended or not, like, who these people became. I feel really invested in these characters, And so that's one of the reasons I really love it. And I also wanted to say for people who haven't ever watched girls or not ever going to watch girls because it's just not their cup of tea, which I would understand. There is one episode, sort of a standalone episode in this season six. It's episode three. There are only two people in the whole episode. Um, Lena Dunham's main character, Hannah, and then she's a writer. She goes to interview a very famous author played by Matthew Reese, who has been sort of put in the media as someone who is a sexual harasser and he's trying to defend himself. So the whole episode is almost like a play. It's just um, Hannah and the author. If you were not going to watch anything else, you could just watch this as a standalone thing because it's such a good episode that speaks to the complications sometimes between um, when a high profile figure that we really admire and like becomes embroiled in scandal and then maybe what their defense of themselves looks like. Like, it's just, it's like a play this episode. It is so good and so thought-provoking because you see Hannah's character, like, she comes in, like, ready to just crucify him for having maybe, sec- you know, for having sexually mm-hmm. harassed these people. And then you can see her wheels turning as as it changes. It's hard, I don't want to give anything away, and it's hard to explain 
because it's a very complicated issue and a complicated episode. But I really think that it is one of the things that I've always liked about girls, which it makes you think about current events um, in a very deep and complicated way, other than just like what the surface of these issues are. I'm glad that you mentioned the one episode because I've never seen a single episode of girls. It just didn't ring my bell for uh, any particular reason, but I definitely now want to go watch at least that one episode. So thanks for the kind of sum up on that. I really appreciate it. Okay, Rebecca, how about you? My awesome of the week are swaddling blankets from the company Modern Burlap. Okay, yes. So this is a family company that was started by a young mom named Samantha, and they design swaddle blankets out of organic muslin cotton in black and white designs only because babies can best see in high contrast. Mm -hmm. So they made this product based off of what babies can actually see. And I own one of their blankets. I, you know, my little baby boy is just three months old and I absolutely love it. They have several blankets that have Bible verses on them. And the one that I have says, I prayed for this child from first Samuel. And I just love the idea of wrapping up babies in scripture. Yes. Oh, that's so sweet. I just think that's amazing. Yeah. So some of their other blankets that they have say, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from James 1, God has you in the palm of his hand, from Isaiah 49. And they also have several that are not religious, so they come in other different patterns, and they have different quotes. And I think that some of these would even make a fun gift, maybe for a high school graduate. Do do young people, do they still hang tapestries like on their walls in like their college forms do, do people still do that or is that just a hippie thing that i know? i don't think that they hang baby blankets i could be wrong <laughs> i yeah i don't know i don't know what the young people are doing these days honestly rebecca <laughs> okay well these blankets are they're fun. They're beautiful. You can use them to swaddle your baby, or they're pretty enough that you could hang it in the nursery, or dare I say, in your college dorm room. <laughs> um, there's one that has a map of the world, mm. just a black silhouette, mm-hmm. which I just think is amazing. Um, another one with the famous quote from Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. Uh-huh, yeah. They're just beautiful, simplistic, yet meaningful. They would make an excellent baby gift to splurge on yourself and your own baby or if there's somebody in your life who's pregnant or going away to college um (laughs) apparently check them out i really really like they're and they're big too so you know sometimes receiving blankets are hard to swaddle your baby these are 47 inches by 47 inches square so they are a really nice big size they're lightweight material good for summer babies good for winter babies Check them out at modernburlap.com. I love it. I always feel like when my babies, no matter which child, whenever they grow up and then I hear about all of these new companies and the new things out there for baby stuff, I'm like, oh, I wish we would have had those. So I like that. Rebecca, those are such a great suggestion for the new ones in our lives. So, well, my awesome of the week is something that I don't think... In a hundred episodes, I have ever talked about on Sort of Awesome before. It's actually a magazine. Yeah, so. Wow, that's like so old school I, of you. I know. I, I was like, I'm not even computing what you're saying. Right? What is this? Can you explain how this works? So early 2000s of you, Megan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
They're retro now, though. <laughs> it's, they're all retro right, and right, vintage. Right. And well, actually, Kelly, you kind of got me thinking about this because earlier this week, you commented on a thread in our Hangout group on Facebook about how much you are missing the much-loved and now dearly departed magazine Everyday Food from Martha Stewart. Mm-hmm. So I think I have a good replacement for you and for um, for people who are still mourning the loss of that magazine. It is, it's a big fan club. Yeah, <laughs> it's it mourning is. the loss of Everyday Food. It is. I never subscribed to Everyday Food and I never had picked up an issue of it. But there is a food and cooking magazine that I have been loving, and it's called Cook's Country. So it's from the same people who do the public television show Cook's Country from America's Test Kitchen. And Mm -hmm. the reason it came into our lives is a couple of years ago, Kyle's mom actually bought him a gift subscription to it when he really started to get into cooking. And we had let the subscription lapse over time, but then all of a sudden we started getting it again. So I don't know how that worked. It was kind of magical. Don't anybody turn us in (laughs) to the publisher. But we have really been loving having it back in our lives. And what I really like about Cook's Country is... It's one of those that really walks you through the process of understanding how and like why recipes work the way they do, which Kelly, I think you're kind of into that part of cooking. I do. Yeah, I I think that's so important. So their staff, again, this is from America's Test Kitchen. So they have this test kitchen where they go in and work on recipes, kind of troubleshoot recipes almost. And they really take the time in each article, in each write-up that gives the recipe to explain like how recipes can go wrong, why they sometimes go wrong and how to fix them. And it's just so well written. And I think it's so great for people who are either beginning cooks who are just now trying their hand at cooking and kind of want to learn some fundamentals from the start or just people who geek out about the process of cooking. It's not even so much for them about the end product, the, the, the dish you get at the end. It's more about the process of it. So I really love the recipes. It's very everyday food. It's um, delicious recipes that you can totally fix with just your regular grocery store ingredients. You don't have to get fancy. Um, each recipe also has tear-out recipe cards for people who are still analog in their collection of recipes um, and don't just store them all online, which is what I do. Um, but they do have actual tear-out recipe cards. And some of the ones that were featured in the latest issue that we got are like steak and blue cheese panini, ginger beef and ramen noodle soup, which P.S. hold the cilantro for me on that, please. <laughs> the rest of it looked delicious except for those huge chunks of cilantro that were in it. Um, macaroni and cheese casserole, fluffy cream cheese biscuits, um, easy turtle brownies. I'm making myself so hungry just thinking about <laughs> all too. of these recipes. Um, the, in this particular issue, too, they have a feature on Oklahoma fried onion burgers. Now, Laura and I know that practically every small town in Oklahoma has a fried onion burger joint, right, Laura? Yes, delicious. They're so good. And then you walk out of there and you just absolutely reek of fried onions. And it's so worth it because they're so good. Um, And so in this particular issue, they have a whole write-up about how you can kind of recreate that fried onion burger experience at home. So the whole magazine is just a delight. Uh, Beautiful photography, great writing. You can check out their website to kind of get an idea of the recipes that they have, if that fits your 
cooking style and the kind of food you like to prepare. And you can order yourself a subscription while you're there if you want. You can find all of the information at cookscountry.com. So hopefully for those of you foodies out there who enjoy geeking out about the process of food, that will be helpful. What is an onion burger? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what that is either. I'm like, is it a burger made of all onions or is it onions (laughs) on a burger? (laughs) I'm like, how onion are we talking here, Megan? (laughs) Oh my gosh, I've never thought about. I never thought about having to explain it. I mean, so they're just like little thin patties. Um, that make up the burger, and then they fry. So you know they're on. They're like in these diner type restaurants, and they um, fry the burgers and these onions, like um, really finely diced onions. They fry them all together on this um, flat top cooking thing, that, like a griddle. Yes, exactly. Kind of like what you would get at um, In and Out. In and Out. I was going to say In and Out. That's an ah, In and Out thing. Like it I mean, is not quite animal style, but they do grilled onions there on burgers. I think In-N-Out. before it was an In and Out thing, it was maybe <laughs> yes. like a small town diner thing. Yeah. Yes. No. That's it. probably true. <laughs> that's probably true because In and Out has that kind of feel, right? That I was just like, I don't know what it, I'm raising my hand here in the back row, like really timid. I don't know what an onion burger. <laughs> I do feel confident that the fried onion burger way precedes In and Out. But hey, if you like In and Out, you should you should pick up this recipe Check an from onion burger. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it cooks country. So. Okay, well, that was a lot of awesome, and I know that we have so much to get to, as we always do on our group shows. But before we get into our memorable moments, I just want to give a shout out to this week's episode sponsor, StoryWorth. Now, you all have probably heard all the great buzz about StoryWorth. They are an they are a company on a mission to help families share and record the stories that are so important to each family's history and identity. The way StoryWorth works is that you purchase a subscription for someone you love, and each week the team at StoryWorth will email a story prompt to that person. It's a prompt that begins with a question about their life. The person then can simply respond to that email with their answer, that story from their life, or they can even call and record it over the phone for the StoryWorth team. Of course, all of those stories are private and are shared only with family members, and then at the end of one year... StoryWorth collects all of those stories and publishes them in a beautiful keepsake book that can be shared with family members for years to come. I absolutely love the idea of capturing these stories that make up a family's history. In fact, I love it so much that we are gifting the gift of StoryWorth to my wonderful mother-in-law this year for Mother's Day. She has a vast collection of stories from her childhood growing up on a small farm in Oklahoma, and then her years spent living in fascinating places all around the United States. Those are stories I don't want to lose, and I'm so excited that her children and grandchildren and generations after that will have her stories to hang on to. And StoryWorth actually does make a fantastic last minute gift for the mom or the mother-in-law or even the grandmother in your life because you can sign up to send the gift of StoryWorth at their website in just a matter of minutes. It's perfect for last minute Mother's Day shopping or even if you need to send a belated Mother's Day gift. StoryWorth is just such a great way for families to connect, to learn more about each other to have meaningful conversations and not only have those conversations about those stories, but also have a written record of them as well. So for $20 off of your StoryWorth subscription, go to storyworth.com slash awesome and get started. 
That's storyworth.com slash awesome. And you'll get $20 off this gift subscription and start collecting a year's worth of stories for a loved one in your life. You'll find more information about signing up for StoryWorth in today's show notes. Okay, so before we start telling our memorable moment stories, I just wanted to give a very brief history of Sorta Awesome. We sometimes get questions from people who are a little bit newer to the show about how Sorta Awesome came into being. So back in April of 2015, well, actually a few months before that, after I had closed my blog Sorta Crunchy at the end of 2014 and started to really get serious about following through on this idea of starting a podcast, I asked three friends if they also would want to try their hand at this. So I asked my friend Laura, who I have known since high school, one of my dearest and closest friends who really knows all of my stories. Um, And then I asked my friend Kelly, who I met through blogging through our mommy blogs, probably like 2006, 2007 era. Kelly, does that sound right? That sounds right. And then my friend Rebecca, who I also met through blogging, we met because we were part of a um, sort of crunchy and green living Uh, blogging group and got to know each other through that. And so they all said yes. And we had no idea what we were even getting into, but we decided to just try it. When we first started, we thought we would have a show where we just did questions and answers for every episode. So we kind of drew from our our, um, audiences that we had had coming into the show and asked for questions. And we kind of outgrew that after a while and started doing more a little bit more topically based episodes. Probably, I don't know, three or four months in, we, we started playing around with the format. But one thing that has stayed the same from the very beginning is doing our Awesome of the Week, which we have loved doing and loved hearing from our awesomes in our Facebook group, the sort of awesome hangout. I always love to hear everybody's awesome of the week. And I've gotten quite a few awesomes in my own life from you guys. So we've really loved getting to know the awesomes through the years. We have definitely recorded some shows that have become fan favorites. For example, lots of people look to the anxiety episode that Laura and I did in 2015. Um, Also people, Laura, speaking of your shows, people really loved the show that you did about grilling which was a fun surprise. I know. I was surprised by that because there are some of our shows that come up a lot when they when people list their favorites in the hangout group or on social media. And those are it's always great to hear. And um, it's really nice that some of those older shows still get some play. But then when people started talking about the grilling episode, I was like, now what? Because <laughs> because all the other like favorite episodes are usually like these like meteor, pardon the pun, meteor. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Are more are better shows, like just, you know, are kind of obvious favorites in a way. So when people went into the meaty show of the grilling episode, <laughs> I was like, well, one of these things is not like the other, but that's okay. <laughs> well, we definitely have a blend of practical and um, more, you know, just sort of motivating for everyday life. Kelly, people loved our show about what we know now that we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely loved the one that we did on Sabbath and finding rest. That was, I still love that one. I go back and listen to it. It's like listening to a full seminar course on, uh, on Sabbath and and practicing the art of rest. And Rebecca, you and I have definitely recorded some very fun and funny episodes. I think that people love our confessional episodes. And Rebecca, you know what? My, one of my personal favorites that I feel like nobody ever mentions, but it's truly one of my favorite episodes is when you and I did that deep dive on YouTube Oh, really? <laughs> yes, yes. 
I don't know why that one stands out for me, but I think it kind of really helped me understand YouTube culture. And now I can share that with my kiddos who are totally into YouTube culture. And that is, of course, where you informed me of the practice of snake massage. Oh, yes. Which is something I will never forget and continue to have nightmares about to this day. (laughs) So... Here we are at 100 episodes and in podcast land, making it to the 100th episode is a very memorable moment. So we have shared lots of stories on ourselves through the past few years, but believe it or not, there are still a few stories we haven't told. And so we're each going to share some memorable moments from our own lives today. Rebecca, you always have good stories. You have so many good stories that you have not told on the podcast. So I cannot wait to hear what your first story is today. Well, thank you, Megan. My first story goes back to my honeymoon. And it was a memorable moment for me and for my husband for lots of reasons. <laughs> I was going to yep. say, where are we going? <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, so we, we went to a resort in Costa Rica. And as part of the resort, they had these extra excursions that you could do. And one of them was a zip line tour through the rainforest. And I was really excited about this. My husband, Nate, was not. Okay. Uh, He was a little nervous. He says, you know, I don't really like heights that much. I said, well, I I really want to do this. Like, if you don't want to go, that's okay. But I think I might go ahead and do it without you. And so Nate, being the good new husband that he was, said, well, no, that's ridiculous. I will... I'll I'll sacrifice my fear for you and and I'll go. So we go and we get there and we're getting all buckled up with our harnesses on and getting ready. We go and we do the very first run of the zip line and I am like ecstatic. I'm having so much fun. I can't wait. That first little one is just like a little test drive. I'm like, this is awesome. Nate is not quite matching my enthusiasm. (laughs) Nate was not feeling it, not feeling the zipline. No, he was not. I really underestimated his his uncomfortableness with the whole heights situation. (laughs) (laughs) So there we are, and there was other people that were on the tour with us, and we had all just finished the first line, and we're on this platform around this tree, and it was a smaller platform. We're a little bit kind of squished on there. Nate and I were the, the last two to go. So there we are, we're standing there, kind of squished at everybody, and Nate and I notice that there is an animal climbing through the trees, coming towards us. And we'd seen this animal before. It's actually, it's called a cody. Um, They're very common in Central America. They look a lot like a raccoon, but with a longer nose and a longer tail. So this cody is coming towards us. And it's not slowing down, and it seems rather aggressive. Oh, no. And Nate and I are just kind of watching, like, what? What is happening here? Is this animal, is this com- is this animal coming for us? <laughs> and you guys, the Cody attacked my husband and bit him oh, no. in the leg. Oh, oh, poor Nate. Yes, yes, poor Nate. Oh, no. There he is. <laughs> practically shaken in his boots for his new bride, not enjoying any of what is happening. And then Mother Nature throws a Cody at him and bites him in the leg. Oh, my gosh. And he can't jump. 
because he's on a little platform away from there. Right. Like, he can't get away. Yes, exactly. He can't move. There was no place to go. And it, like, keeps, like, coming back. And we're, like, yelling and, like, acting like we're going to kick it in the head. And we're like, get away. Hey, go away. What in the world? What's happening here? So, anyway, oh. when we finally finished the tour, you know, the Cody eventually left. And we ziplined our way through. Uh, we were at the resort. And we had Nate checked out by the doctor at the resort, and he told us that he has never, ever, ever seen a Cody bite before. And this was just a crazy freak accident. And (laughs) what a wonderful way to start a marriage. (laughs) My poor, poor husband. And by accident, you mean attack? I know, right? That's what I was going to say. This was not accidental. (laughs) Oh, no. Poor Nate. The worst part is that there were several Cody's that we would see as we were walking around the resort, especially later at night. (laughs) And my husband was like on high alert. Of course. Yeah. As one would be. Did he buy a t-shirt that said, I went to Costa Rica and all I brought home was rabies? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Cody PTSD. It's a real thing, guys. It's not funny. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, yeah, that's a good story and definitely a memorable moment from your honeymoon, Rebecca. Land, who has to follow that? I know. I know. Goodness. All right, Kelly, what do you have for it? Well, I can kind of follow that because mine also has to do with like a nightmare coming true, right? Okay. 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 So people who have listened to Sort of Awesome for a long time know that I did not want to have children thanks to extended watching of Little House in the Prairie when I was a child. So I was like, no, there's never going to be a cause for me to scream in agony and push anything out of anywhere. Whatever's happening there, it's not good. And so I grew up, this was a legitimate terror that I had, like that I would wake myself up like from age eight on through high school. I would lay awake in the middle of the night worrying about what would ever happen if I had to have a baby. Just not something I ever wanted to do. So of course, what happened in the universe was that my second child was born without any medication at all. Oh, wow. The only reason I ever agreed to even have a child in the first place, which was number one, was because I had multiple friends in my life say, there's this thing called an epidural. You don't have to feel anything. You don't have to scream. Doc Baker doesn't have to come out and wash the blood off of his hands. It's not a big deal. I even had one friend be like, I slept through it. I had another friend tell my sister, tell Kelly, I did it. If I did it with an epidural, she can do it too. They were all... Hold on. An epidural does not make it less bloody. No. True. (laughs) This is true. So let's not set up false expectations. It was really the pain though. So, you know, blood just represented (laughs) agony and terror. So because of that, I decided maybe there were children in my future, and I had child number one. Then child number two, we had just moved from Southern California back to the Midwest, and not just the Midwest, but a small town, which there was a hospital there associated with the Mayo Clinic, so I didn't give it a second thought. And I had met some new friends, and it was spring, and I was probably about four months pregnant. And um, we were at a park, and I said something about, well, I'm just looking forward, you know, that epidural. And they laughed, and they said, what are you talking about? We don't do epidurals here. What? That was my reaction. Thank you. What? Like, Like my heart rate went up. I'm like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm like trying to all act cool. I've just met these women. I'm like, what do you mean you don't do epidurals? And they're like, oh, no, we have too small of a hospital. They don't want to pay for an anesthesiologist to always be on call. 
Oh, no. Oh, no. And so then why weren't you like, I'm moving immediately? It's been nice knowing you. That's what I said. I got in my car. I called Corey in a complete panic, terror, crying fit, as only a pregnant woman can be, and was like, I can't stay here. I got to San Diego. I got to be kids. They don't do epidurals. He, he was like, Somebody's, somebody has knifed our child. Like, what is wrong? And he's like, calm down. Speak clearly. I don't understand what's going on. What is wrong? And I'm like, they don't do epidurals here. And he was like, oh, my word. Really? That's the problem? And I'm like, you clearly do not understand what is going through my mind and my body right now. Because this is like justifiable homicide, even from that statement, sir. (laughs) I was in a complete panic. But I talked to my doctor, and she was like, the one there, she said, oh, no, we do this other thing. It's called an intrathecal. It's where we put morphine into your spine. It's not as good, but it's okay. You'll get through. You'll be fine. So they talked me off the edge. I decided I wasn't going to have to move with my two-year-old daughter just so that I could give birth somewhere else. Like, I can do this. I can do this. And then what happened? I never trust a doctor that says it's not as good, but it's okay. Right? This is the moral of the story. And then here's the thing. And then I went into labor so fast, you guys, which I did not think could ever happen. It was one of those things where I was dilating early, which did not happen with my first one. And my doctor, two weeks before my due date, which my daughter was born two weeks after my due date. She said, I think we need to induce you. You're at a five. And I'm like, that's great. I'm halfway there and I haven't even like felt anything yet. And she's like, no, Kelly, you are the person who's going to have the baby in Walmart. Do you want to have the baby in Walmart? <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't want to have the baby in Walmart. She's like, then you need to come back tomorrow when I'm on call and we'll induce this baby. And so I was like, all right. But she so upset me. I hadn't finished my scrapbooking. For baby number one, which is the only child who even has a scrapbook. You know, so I was like, I had, I have plans. I can't do this. But I, you know, we made everything work. Okay, we're going to go in tomorrow. And then that night I finally sat down at dinner and I'm like, I am, I am hurting. I got to sit down. Two hours later, I'm pulling into the hospital with my husband screeching up into the ambulance bay. My wife's having a baby. And I'm thinking, drugs, 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 drugs. Just get me the intrathecal. I go up, they go, honey, you don't have time. You're at a 10. We got to push. Oh, Kelly, that was not That's, your birth plan. No. That was not no, ever, not just the birth plan. That was not in the life plan. <laughs> but you know what? I did it. And you did do was it. One of those yes. things like it was went from I'm not even having a baby this week to eight hours later. I had a baby that night without <gasps> even so much as an aspirin or an IV or a tag on my arm. They were wow. lucky to get the clothes off of me oh, um, my you know, gosh. to get me into a, a hospital gown. But I did it, and I called my parents who were in California at the time and was like, hey, and they're like, hey, have a good night. And I'm like, I had a baby. <laughs> I did it. So surviving your you know, worst nightmare sometimes, it can give you a good feeling of going forward. But yet the lesson is never trust a doctor who says, you know, an epidural isn't all that. I can give you something else. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Doctors... When doctors say you're going to feel a little uncomfortable or a little will, pressure, a little It'll pressure, just be a little pressure here. That is no? like red alert, red yep. alert. It's about to be bad. <laughs> it's going to be real bad. So hang on. When they say you need to breathe through the pressure, when they're like, you want to just take a deep breath, there'll be a little pressure. You're like, that's, that's not the right word for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word, Kelly, I've never heard that whole story. So I am so, oh my gosh, I'm just in awe. You did it. You did. I did do it. Yes. And then the last two, I had um, really beautiful epidurals and I didn't feel hardly a thing. And it was, 
all that I thought it could be, <laughs> but I did survive. I did good. survive. Good, good. Okay, Laura, I know you have a lot of good stories as well. I can't wait to hear your first one. I'm finding it interesting that um, we decided to come up with memorable moments. And so far, the first three, including mine, are kind of about nightmare moments. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We all have them. I can't wait to hear yours. We all have them. I've been blogging for so long and posting on social media and now doing a podcast that I feel like I've told all of my stories. Mm-hmm. Yes, me too. But there is one that if you know me in real life, you probably know this because I tell it, but I do not think I've ever told it publicly. And I really do think that it sort of explains a lot about me. But I'm convinced that when I was a kid, I was this close to being kidnapped. Ooh. Oh, oh. This is a nightmare. Oh, I'm scared. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I used to think that all the time, too, but that was just because, you know, a stranger had the audacity to walk by me, and I was really paranoid. <laughs> well, I mean, I should say that I was I had a very active imagination. I read a lot of horror-type books, so that might have colored the situation, except not really, because... Okay, so what happened? I was old. I wasn't a little kid. That's why I, I like give this a little bit more credence. I wasn't just like a jumpy, you know, scared little little one. I was like in the seventh grade, I think. Um, so I was old enough to like recognize danger, like in a more yeah. credible way, I guess. Um, but I was home alone. I was I started staying home alone after school in the third grade. Both my parents were worked. I was a latchkey kid. I came home. I was home for several hours in the afternoon every day. Um, of my school childhood life. And we also moved around a lot at at a period in my family's life in the same kind of two counties, but we moved physical houses quite a bit, which is a whole different thing and was a living nightmare in itself. But anyway, at this time, we lived out in the country, as you would call it. (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly what you mean, yes. (laughs) Um, on kind of not a dirt road, but like a road that was not heavily trafficked. There were like at all, you know, it was almost like a farming type road, but it was paved. There were other kind of houses around us, but you know, they were several acres apart type of thing. So not immediate neighbors. Now the house that we lived in at the time had kind of like a gravel kind of circle drive in front of it. So I was outside um, kind of playing. I mean, I was told to be like play playing, but I was like outside. I don't know what I was doing with my dog and I was in the front yard and whatever. And you guys, this old rickety white van with a big stripe on it. This is real life. Drove by really slowly, really slowly. Now I wasn't immediately alarmed. Like I was like, what's that car doing? But I wasn't like, I mean, you know, but I did get a little like, this is a rickety white <laughs> Like, this is like <laughs> every, you know, horror story. Okay. Yes. And then it went by and then fine. Then it came back. Oh, no. And it was driving really, really slowly. And the second time it came back, I noticed it the first time for sure because I knew when it reappeared. The second time it came back, I got that feeling. And I know you know what I mean where you just know yes. this is not good. Like immediately, this is 100% not good. I know it in my bones. I can't tell you what exactly is not good about it. Mm -hmm. 100% this is not good. Yes. So I go inside and I get on the phone and I try to call my mom at work and I try to call my dad at work. Now, both my parents worked 
30 miles away, probably. Like they were not in the immediate vicinity of getting home, even if I wanted them to. But they didn't answer. As I'm looking out the window, it comes back and drives into the circle driveway. <gasps> oh, no. my gosh. No. I'm like, this is happening. This is it. I get under the kitchen counter. We had like a kitchen island type of thing with bar stools. So you could like crawl under. I crawl under the kitchen counter on the phone. There was this was no no cordless phone. I have like the corded phone with me. I'm under the kitchen counter where I can kind of see out. They are in my driveway now, like just feet from our front door. I can't get a hold of my parents. Finally, I get a hold of my dad's law partner, like just someone in their office. I was like, I need to talk to somebody. Somebody has to talk to me. I talked to my dad's law partner who happens to completely randomly, well, it's not random. This is small town life, right? She happens to know that a brother of one of her friends lives out there. A oh, brother yes. of one of her friends. What? Uh-huh. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and a full adult in his 50s man that I do not know. So she's like, I'm going to call him. So she calls this man who, who's like, yeah, I'll go check on her. So this guy, who I do not know, this adult, older man human, <laughs> and he jogs out of his house and starts to jog over to our driveway to come, you know, knock on my door or whatever for me. I don't yeah. know what he looked like. I've been given a vague description or whatever. But I knew in my heart, I trusted the man that was coming, that was walking down the driveway was the person I needed to look for. And the van drove away. I came bolting out of my house. And, you know, I'm 13. Like, I'm a teenager girl. I come bolting out of my house straight into that stranger man's arms with the biggest hug you've ever hugged in your whole life. I do not know you. And I was like, thank you. You saved my life. Oh, yeah. Were you crying? I would have been crying. I'm almost, I I want to cry just listening to the story. So I was hysterical. He was so nice. I mean, of course, he's like, and now I have rando teenager 3000 (laughs) hugging me. And (laughs) it's rando teenager 3000. Okay. Now, I will say there's so many things about this story. My parents have never believed me that I was about to be kidnapped. Have never, even though I'm like, listen, I, you know, when, you know, yes, this maybe, is, maybe I wasn't going to be kidnapped. Maybe they were going to rob the place. I don't know, whatever, but there was danger. There was a danger. danger. Yes. This was a total gift of fear moment. Exactly. Yes. Know what my family does not believe me. I am telling you and the awesomes, cause I think you will believe me, <laughs> <laughs> but also the kindness of that stranger. who's like, sure. I'll go like walk over there. And then like, just the. The energy that he emanated versus the energy that was coming off that van. Mm, yes. Different. Yes. So real. So real. Oh, my gosh. I don't think even I have ever heard that story, Laura. I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> Let's also uh, make note of the fact that this is the kind of story that probably happened a lot in the 80s and 90s when we spent hours by ourselves at home with no parental supervision out in the country. <laughs> Yeah, I was like minutes away from being on the milk carton. Definitely. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's a tough story to follow. (laughs) My first story is also a nightmare moment. And this was really, I had such a hard time because like Laura, I've told a lot of my stories, um, both in blogging and on the podcast, especially over a hundred hours of audio. I have told a lot of stories, um, So this one I actually did write about years and years ago. A handful of you who also read my blog back in the day may remember this one. And just a little content warning on this. If you have a sensitive tummy or if you're eating, just be prepared that this is a story about poop. And (laughs) (laughs) 
we are hitting all the nightmares right here. Can we make that into a graphic? We- this is a story about poop. Please listen to episode 100. <laughs> and it is definitely a story of humiliation as well. So this is a story about AJ, my second daughter, who of her own volition, potty trained herself a few months before she turned two. And when she discovered that every time she pooped in the little potty, we had like this big potty party. I mean, she was all over that. She is like this classic Enneagram type seven that loves a party. And we were having potty parties and it was so great. So, so when she started doing this, I'm not kidding, like 10 times a day, you guys, she would squeeze out just a little tiny poopy at a time so we could all have a big production over pooping in the potty i am speechless right now (laughs) so in the midst of this moment this parenting moment in life there was one day when i realized like in a panic that i had to go to the library to check out some children's books because the next day i was supposed to lead children's story time and of course i had not prepared for it and i was like oh I got to I got to go to the library and get some books. So I just I again I was in a panic. I grabbed the girls, Daisy and AJ, kind of threw them in the car, buckled them in, and we took off for the library. And as I was on the way there, I realized we I I hadn't grabbed a diaper bag. In fact, because she had been potty training, I hadn't even really been carrying diapers with me for a while. So it gave me a little bit of pause. Not a long enough pause, because I, I just like shrugged, and I was like, well, well, what's the worst that could happen? She had a diaper on at the time, and I was like, what's the worst that could happen? We're going to run into the library. So the gift of fear did not serve you here. <laughs> I ignored the gift of fear, and that was my first mistake. <laughs> so we get to the library. I race in. I don't know why I was in such a hurry as I reflect back on this story, but I was in a hurry. So I race in with the girls. We grab a few books. We're standing in line to check out. And AJ has one of these little poops in the diaper that she's wearing. And, and it was enough of a minor situation that I was trying to just ignore it and just be like, let's just get the books checked out and then I'll go change you. But she was just like standing there in the library. And this is a small town library. We lived in a small town at the time, very quiet. And she's just like chanting, I pooped, I pooped, I pooped in the way that two-year-olds will do in public. So I was like, crud. So we stepped out of line. I took her to the bathroom, took the girls to the bathroom. I took her and changed her. And again, I didn't have another diaper with me. And I was so conflicted. I was like, well, should we just leave? I really did not want to have to leave and go home just to get a dumb diaper and come back. We were in line. We had our books. We were ready to go. So... I was again thinking, what is the worst that could happen? We'll just be here for a few minutes and then we'll be gone. No. So my friends, (laughs) what actually happened was we, we went ahead and got back in line with our books to check out. The checkout line ran right alongside the children's area and Daisy and AJ were just kind of standing there playing. So I'm standing there waiting and waiting to check out. And I look over at AJ and she's standing there and there is in fact a pile of poop at her feet. (laughs) So while we were just standing there, she went ahead and pooped on the floor of the public library. So, (laughs) (laughs) and then went at a party. What did you do? I wish I could have seen your face. I wish I could have seen your face. Oh my gosh. Do you see my face right now? Do you see how red (laughs) it is right now? 
I was completely flushed. I was almost in tears and I would have stopped to cry except that I had a child who had just pooped on the floor at the public library <laughs> and I had to go into action. And so I just like, I don't even remember. It's such a blur. Like I like, I like grabbed her and I told Daisy just like, go play with the puzzles. I'll be right back. And I grabbed her and went and cleaned her up and then brought like a wad of paper towels. <laughs> and I'm like trying to clean it up off the floor the best I can. Um, the worst part too was like 24 hours later, I had to come back to that library and face all of the librarians who had seen the whole thing go down and be like, hi, I'm here to lead story time for the kids. Cause I'm a very responsible adult <laughs> clearly. So anyway, that is a memorable moment for my life. It is one that has a lesson like most of our nightmare stories do. <laughs> the lesson I think is, um, if you do ever find yourself just kind of shrugging and being like, what's the worst that could happen? Just really, please, please never forget the answer to that could be poop on the library floor. So. I'm actually sensing a theme in our stories there, that if you awesome are listening to this and thinking you are having a bad day, you are probably not having that bad of a day. If you have not been attacked <laughs> by a Cody, almost kidnapped, had to give birth without any medication, or had to clean up a pile of poo that your toddler just left in the checkout line of the library. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. We did not plan for nightmares to be the theme of round one. I love how we're celebrating 100. <laughs> All right, let's see what the second round of stories has in store for us. Rebecca, what's your second story? So my second story also takes place in Central America. Interesting. This time, <laughs> this time in Belize. Okay. Um, the college that I went to had a required cross-cultural program, and so I spent the semester of my junior year studying and living in Central America. And we had a study break, and were able to spend a week vacationing on the small islands off the coast of Belize. Hmm. Okay, so my girlfriends and I, there was five of us, we were doing a little vacation time during our cross-cultural in Belize, and we had heard from fellow tourists that said that we needed to go snorkeling with Junie, that he was the best. Okay. Sky on this island. So we walked into a shop to schedule a snorkeling session, and there was Junie, well over six feet tall, cut off shorts, no shirt, dark leathery skin that you can only get from spending years and years in the sun. We schedule our snorkeling session, come back later that week, climb into Junie's small boat, and sail out to sea. After about 30 minutes or so, Junie stops the boat and starts to tell us a story. He tells us that he spent his entire life exploring the sea, and once when he was a teenager, he came across an injured nurse shark. Okay. He placed the shark in an underwater cave and came back to it every day to feed it. Eventually, he realizes that the shark is getting bigger and bigger, and he's like, ugh, I'm feeding it too much. It's getting fat. But, lo and behold, a few days later, he comes back, and the shark, he realizes, is pregnant and is in labor. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, Junie is there holding this laboring shark. No medication, <laughs> Kelly. This sounds like a movie. He's there holding the shark as these baby sharks come out. And those four baby sharks grew to look at Junie almost as a father figure. <laughs> that he came and was with them every day. Wow. They recognize him. He's telling us this, that they know his boat. They came to him every time he went out into sea. 
And then Junie drops this bomb on us and says, "Those sharks are still alive, and they are waiting for us today. You are going to swim with them and hold them." <laughs> I don't know whether to be excited or completely terrified right now. We were petrified. We're like, I am sorry. What? We did not sign up for shark holding. For what are you talking about? For shark we came snuggling. out here to see pretty fish. Why are there sharks? Oh my god. Why gosh. are they circling your boat? And why do they think that you are family and that we are going to hold them? It yeah. was terrifying. Yeah. And he says they sense danger or they sense fear. So try to be calm. <laughs> yeah, okay, Junie. So here we are, college girls climbing into shark-infested waters, <laughs> and we're snorkeling around, and Junie will gather a shark in his arms and hold it like a baby and then call one of us over. And we literally, I have pictures of myself holding nurse sharks in the water like a baby. Oh my gosh, this is kind of amazing, but I'm also still terrified. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. And by the way, we also did this exact same thing with stingrays. We also held stingrays. Mm. That is definitely a memorable moment for sure. Yeah. So if any awesomes have ever snorkeled with Junie, you have got to reach out to me. I want to hear your story. It was <laughs> memorable for sure. I cannot wait to see the pictures of this too. Oh my gosh. Totally memorable. All right. So wait, we're just saying that you were a college girl in a boat in the ocean with an unknown stranger who said, the sharks that are circling my boat are not here to eat you. I don't bring unsuspecting girls here to feed to sharks every day. Get in the water and hold them. It will be fine. They think I'm their daddy. That's pretty much the story. That's, that's the story. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That is incredible. All right, Kelly, second story for you. Okay, this one actually happened not that long ago. So I have not told this story in public anywhere. Um, although a few awesomes happened upon this in real life. So they are going to start giggling when I start saying this. That I just recently tweeted Beth Moore, renowned and beloved Bible teacher and leader, the F word. Why did you do that? <laughs> It wasn't on purpose. So here's what happened. Just a little over a month ago, Beth, if you know, is very active on Twitter. She is hysterical. And one night I was out after my kids were in bed. I was on Twitter just, you know, scrolling as one does. And she tweeted that a friend of hers who shall remain unnamed just sent me a screenshot of her phone with 135 unread text messages. She said, I'm so tickled, I can't sit up. So then she said, if you tweet me a current screenshot with more than 135 unread texts on it within 15 minutes, I will send you a signed book whether you want it or not. <laughs> so it was funny. And so then I'm looking at her replies, and there are all these people you know, sending screenshots of 300 un unread text messages. You know, with the wait, little red? Yeah, wait, I know. Just to clarify, we are not talking about... Voicemail. We're not talking no. about email. We're talking about text messages. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so stressed out. I, exactly. And, and you know, of course, these same people would have like 10,000 emails that have not been read. You know, the, their whole screen is little red notification bubbles. And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So of course I was like, this is just a thousand shades of wrong. So I tweeted back to Beth and said, meanwhile, all of those of us who have screen notification OCD are like, and then I went online to find a GIF 
we will just put aside the whole gift gif debate right now, right? And I looked yes. for one that was like, nope, nope, right? So I found a gif. We can put it in the Hangout group. We can put it in the show notes that says, nope, nope, no, 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 nope. Here's the problem. The gif is really long. I did not stay tuned for the very, very end of like a 15-second long gif when she goes, F no, at the very, very end. So I put this gif on my tweet, sent it off to Bible teacher Beth Moore, (laughs) went to bed. Woke up in the morning to quite a few notifications on my phone. Called it a night. Called it a night. Went and got in bed. I was being very funny. I amused myself. (laughs) Went to bed. Woke up in the morning to a few tweets from awesomes who were die laughing. There were a lot of the cry laugh emojis used in my life that next day. And they were like, Kelly Gordon, you (laughs) just tweeted Beth Moore the F word. And I was like, what is she talking? I have no idea. And then I watched the gif all the way at the end. Of course, there were several people who also saw it, who watched it, and were like, um, ma'am, this is inappropriate. You need to delete this immediately. Kelly, <laughs> true story, that same exact gif got me, too. I sent it to my church girlfriends, and I was like, whoa, yes. whoops, sorry about that one. <laughs> so, of course, you know, my friends are like, you are so going to hell. <laughs> That's it. If you thought that you had some scope in your eternal life, no, it's done. You have tweeted Beth Moore the the F word. And here's the funny thing, you guys, like 40 people liked it, including Beth. So I don't think that that we were the only ones who just didn't watch all the way to the end. But it did cause um, a lot of panic. Or I don't know, Miss Moore, but I would like to think maybe she secretly (laughs) appreciates a good F bomb. Maybe she gave that like a solid like. Solid like. Well, I will say this. The next day, the next morning, this is what she tweeted. I just don't know that it would hurt anything if Christians prayed to be funnier for the sake of the gospel. There you go. She was inspired by you, Kelly. For sure. I'm just going to take it at that. It did make me sweat buckets within the first 10 minutes of waking up and my adrenaline shot through the roof. I didn't even eat coffee that day. But it it became to me like one of those embarrassing moments that is also truly, truly funny because yes. you just you just can't anticipate and plan those types of things. That is so true. That is so very true. That is an amazing story and totally memorable. All right, Laura, what is your second story for us? Um, I'm going to take a sharp left turn from all of these. <laughs> Although I did realize that a theme of my stories today are kind of about intuition. Mm, okay. So this story happened when I had been dating my husband for um, a couple of years. And one of my very best friends, Lindsay, who I've talked about on the show when I told the story of the wedding that got flooded. Do you guys remember when I told that story? Okay. She's one of my very best friends. She and I were dating men at the same time and we had we both really wanted to be married, but we were both in that position of like, we are not going to wait around for a man. (laughs) And so we had made a secret pact with one another that if our boyfriends didn't propose that we were not going to like wait around for our life. Like we were going to move on with our life. Mm -hmm. So we had like a deadline. We didn't tell anyone only each other. You know, we didn't, wasn't it presented as an ultimatum to the men. This was just between me and Lindsay. So Um, 
our deadline was uh, the end of that calendar year. So like, you know, New Year's Eve or whatever. Um, Lindsay got engaged in October, I would say. <laughs> New Year's Eve came and went for Laura and Jeff. <laughs> there was no ring. So I was really like, um, okay, I, you know, without getting like too existential about it, I had sort of been preparing in my heart of, for that possibility and like truly what it was going to look like for me to to move on. Um, so... So on January 3rd about, January, like the first week of January, but I think it was like around January 3rd, my brother called me. Now, my brother was at the time fighting in Iraq for our freedom. Oh, that's right. Yes. And my brother is a very, he is not much like me in the terms of woo-woo-ness, which is to say he's a very like sort of classic Marine. Mm -hmm. He is very analytical. He is not outwardly emotional. He just wants the facts. He does not want you to cry in front of him because it is not helping the situation. Like he's like that. So he calls me from Iraq. So it's the middle of the night for me. I sit up in bed. You know, it's scary when you get a phone call in the middle of the night, although he had called a few times. So I, you know, I was sort of it's a rough year when you have a loved one who's mm. deployed. You sort of, maybe you don't sleep that well. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I sat up in bed um, and, and saw that it was him. And so I take the call and we're talking for a few minutes. I'm sort of trying to kind of trying to wake up. And he says, apropos of nothing, clear out of the blue sky. He says to me, listen, Laura, I don't know if you're sort of like planning something or if you're you know, really about to make some kind of a big change, but I just want to tell you that you need to wait a little bit. You just need to give it a little bit more time. Oh my gosh. That gave me chills all over. And I was like, well, why would you say that? Like I was getting like weird and like defensive and like, has somebody talked to you? Like I, you know, cause literally nobody knew this pact except for Lindsay And since it only been a few days past our deadline, I hadn't even talked to her about it yet. So I was really like, why? I got um, almost angry sort of in the moment in some weird way. Like, what's going on? Like, do you know something I don't know? Is somebody, you know, whatever. And he was like, no, no, I just, um, I I just want to tell you that. And he wasn't like, you know, being like a weird, he is so not woo woo. He is so not like, I have a message for you. (laughs) Right. He was acting like it was something we had discussed before. Like we were having, you know, and he was like, well, my advice is just to give it more time. And I'm like, we have not discussed any of this. Like, this is completely a message that I'm receiving, even if you don't mean to be delivering it. Do you know what I mean? Right. So I I got kind of defensive and angry with him in the moment, but I didn't really press it. And, and we went on and talked about other things, whatever. It was the middle of the night. We hung up. The next morning, I remembered it and I was like, I mean that was weird. Like that was like a true, like not even veiled message from the universe. That was like a black and white. Very I'm concrete. Gonna tell uh-huh. Yes. Yes. I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do, which you don't get much in life. So I was like, I'm going to take it. You just don't get that much in life. Three weeks later, Jeff proposed. Oh, I love it. I mean, isn't that weird? Yes, it is. Yes. There are so many parts about it that are weird to me. Now, it's not that I was, like, going to, like, dump Jeff that second and, like, heave ho off. Like, obviously, 
by that time, I think Jeff already had the ring. Like things were in motion and going, but it was all, it, it was not, um, nobody knew any of that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And to get this message from a person who I could not twist, like sometimes when you get a message from God or the universe or whatever, where you're like, well, they kind of already knew, or they were telling me what I wanted to hear or whatever. Mm, right. I feel like I got this message from someone that I could not twist what he meant. Right. It was yeah. so concrete from a person who is uninterested in my emotional woo-woo <laughs> that that, that I listened to him and I was like, okay, I'm not going to cause a big stink. I'm not going to have a fight with Jeff. I'm not going to get emotional. I'm not going to, I'm going to sit, I'm going to heed this message and I'm just going to wait for a minute. And it wasn't even until the end of the month. Wow. That's quite a story. Definitely a memorable moment for sure. Okay, well, my last story, my last memorable moment also is definitely not the um, funny or humiliating kind <laughs> like my first one. Um, it is a moment very memorable for me because it was the first time that it really registered with me um, that how important my voice was and that I really could use my voice in a significant way. It happened way back when I was in college. It was the last semester before I graduated um, I had written a letter to the editor of the Daily Oklahoman. The Daily Oklahoman is the main newspaper in Oklahoma. It's published here in Oklahoma City. A couple of weeks before, they had run some kind of op-ed about Oklahoma teachers leaving the state, like people going to get their education degrees in Oklahoma and then leaving the state to teach elsewhere. Well, I was getting ready to graduate from our university, which was traditionally a teacher's college with a degree in teaching. And for some reason, I got a hold of that op-ed and I got fired up. And I fired off a letter to the editor, just really ranting about teacher pay and teacher education and all of this stuff. And I mean, I just, I was, I said it hot. I didn't edit it. I just sent it to the, I just emailed it to the editor. Well, they ended up publishing my response. And so kind of made some ripples across the university. We went to a very small university, like 5,000 undergraduates at the time. And so, um, I, and I knew a few people in, in the administration, in, in, in the administration building, they had really taken note of this letter kind of advocating for teachers and for the, the problems with teacher pay and all kinds of stuff in Oklahoma. And they really, like, they reached out to me and thanked me for representing our university through this letter that I had written. And then they asked if I would represent our school at Higher Education Day at the state capitol. So when I was a little 21-year-old newlywed undergrad, just about to graduate with my degree, I got to go to our state capitol. I felt like such a small town girl in the big capitol. And I got to address our state legislature and talk about issues pertaining to higher education that day. And so it was a really big deal for me because, you know, I kind of talked about, I talk about personality stuff on the show all the time, but um, as an Enneagram type nine, one of our biggest struggles is that we just do not think that our voice will matter. We don't, we tr don't get energized to, to kind of um, get involved in a situation. We tend to just sit back and not show up for situations. So that was the first time in my like sort of adult life that I can remember thinking, like, wow, I'm, I'm really glad I actually said something. I didn't just think it. I like actually said it. And then I got to actually use my voice to advocate in the um, sort of political realm, which was totally out of my comfort zone, as you can imagine. So that was definitely a memorable moment as I think back on my life and kind of set the course for things that I would take on later in life, both through teaching and writing and now through podcasting. So 
like a glimpse of things to come. Yeah, a little mm-hmm. bit, a little bit. I have not been back to address the state legislature since then, though I have gotten fired up about a few things. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, thank you all so much for listening to our memorable moments as we are celebrating 100 episodes of Sort of Awesome. We are so thankful for each of you who have listened, for those who have been here from the beginning and those that are new to us. We're just so glad you're here. I know that people are going to want to reach out and talk to us and talk about these moments. So let's remind everybody where they can find us all around the web. Rebecca, where can we find you? You can find me at simplyrebecca.com. And then you can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at simplyrebecca. Okay. And Laura, how about you? You can find all of my social media channels, including a sign up for my secret post emails that go out every month by going to lauratremaine.com. But I'm also on Twitter at Laura Tremaine and on Instagram at lara.tremaine. Okay. Kelly, where can we find you? I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Kelly at Lovewell and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Lovewell blog. Okay. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. We are on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. You can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sort of awesome. You guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Sort of Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffert, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sort of Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at pragermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.